I just want to go fast. I want to be the best. I want to always be first. That's what it's all about, being the first to the line. You can have a slow start and make it up later in the game, or you can have a fast start and keep it rolling, or you can start in the middle of the pack and work your way through all the noise and congestion and traffic to be the first to the line. In racing and in life, you gotta do whatever it takes to get to that line. Push yourself harder, faster, stretch your limits, Push fear to the back and get there first. Well, hey, Heritage. Want to welcome all of you here to week two of Off to the Races, which is a five-week journey where we're exploring how we make great choices that position us to win at work, at home, and in our relationships. I want to welcome all of you here at Rock Island. I want to give a shout out to our campuses at Bendorf and Kiwani and those tuning in online. This is a very timely conversation for us because in this season, in the fall season, many of us pick up new responsibilities and obligations. Maybe it's around work or school or sports or extracurricular activities. But those things all start to pile together and they position us to feel like we're just racing around to keep up. And so the racing metaphor becomes for us an opportunity to understand how we navigate this race of life well and make every lap count. Because the fall season is the beginning of a new lap. Now it was last week as we kicked this whole thing off that we began to explore how do we make every lap count? How do we do that? And we, and we saw that, in, that initially it's just being a little bit more intentional. It's having greater intentionality. Because many of us know how to be busy. We know busy. But very few people know intentional, know how to be intentional enough to make every lap count. And we really do want to make every lap count because it matters. Every lap matters. Every lap is different, but how we handle each lap ultimately defines the race as a whole. And we want to make every lap count, but we want to make it count for what matters most, for what matters most. So we're not just having a conversation about what matters now or today or even tomorrow. We're talking about what matters most which really ripples for eternity, for eternity. Now, some say that there's roughly 75 million auto racing fans in America. And within the auto racing world, NASCAR is the leader, the lead expression of racing. Now, there's some debate of whether or not NASCAR is the second most popular sport behind football in America, or whether it's the third most popular sport behind football and baseball. And being so close to Chicago, with the world champion Cubs, go Cubs. There's probably some room for debate on that. But regardless of the ranking of NASCAR, it's growing in popularity. But hear me, you do not have to be a race fan to benefit from this conversation. You don't have to care at all about racing to actually glean valuable truths that help win the race of life. Because the metaphor applies to life and it's biblical. Now, I understand, again, NASCAR is not in the Bible. I know that, people. I know NASCAR is not in the Bible. But did you know that you can buy a NASCAR Bible? Did you know that? It's out there. Some of you are like, I'm checking that out today on Amazon. All right, listen. <laughs> I know NASCAR is not in the Bible. But the metaphor of racing is scattered throughout the Bible. It's a primary metaphor that Paul uses in much of his teaching and writing. 
because it actually helps us understand how to live life to the full. And every lap counts. So we've started this journey around the metaphor of racing. And, and on the surface, for many, especially those that aren't racing fans, NASCAR just looks like people going around in circles as fast as they can. Kind of pointless, kind of fruitless, just going in circles. But there's actually layers and nuances and details to every lap. And making the, the ability to win in NASCAR is really making the most of every lap. And the same is true in life. Because if we don't make the most of every lap, we just end up going in circles. Often, just as fast as we can. And then we end up in a hurry to go nowhere. Which kind of puts us in a place for me to give you the first concept I want you to be thinking through. And it's the first filling in your note guide if you're tracking with that today. It's that without a finish line, we race to nowhere. Without a finish line, we race to nowhere. Without a goal, we don't have a destination. Without a, a, a direction, we end up just going in circles. With, with, without a finish line, we race to nowhere. And in the same thought process, without a prize, we race for nothing. Without a prize, we race for nothing. Without something to reach for, without a reason, we lack motivation. So without a, without a finish line, without a prize, we race to nowhere for nothing. And none of us want that. Yet many people live their entire lives that way. We spent some time last week talking about how the people of God, the Israelites, ended up in a season where they were doing laps, doing circles in the desert for 40 years. It happened as they came out of slavery in Egypt, they got to the point to enter the promised land and they didn't handle the next lap well. They chose poorly, they disobeyed God. So God put them in this 40 year doing circles and just doing laps. And the reality is you and I, we can mishandle laps and we can find ourselves caught in the space between. But the good news is by the grace of God, the mercy of God, just like for the Israelites, there is an opportunity to adjust in the next lap. To, to adjust even in the current lap, to, to work differently, to see God do something more, to even ask God to redeem every other previous lap, to ask God to step in and redeem every lap. But in order for us to be positioned for him to do that, we've got to be racing and pushing for the line. We've got to be able to be even first to the line. And in racing, that's one of the primary goals, is to be first to the line. In fact, I came across a, a, a one quote from one driver who said, you got to want to. <laughs> he said, you got to want to. And he's right. It's not as eloquent as maybe Paul would put it, but Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. Here's what he says. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. You got to want to. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. See, without a finish line, without a prize, we race nowhere for nothing. But that's not who God calls us to be. And you got to want to in order to get to the finish line, in order to be where God wants us to be in life and in the journey. Now, when we started this conversation, even last week, I, I said that my son Daniel and I had the opportunity to participate in the Chicago Tough Mudder. And, and the Tough Mudder is a, not a standard race and it doesn't have a standard prize. It's a community experience. And, and Daniel and I did the five and a half mile version with 13 obstacles. It was fabulous, we loved it, we were filthy, dirty, but it was great, it was a wonderful experience. But again, it wasn't a standard race and it didn't have a standard prize. There was no trophy, there, is, there was no ribbon. There was not even a clock telling us how fast we did it in. There, there wasn't even a placement of who, who came in first, second, or third, or who did it the fastest. It was either you finish or not. 
You either overcome or not. And all along the way, you help everybody else around you. It was a very unique race. It's, in whatever race we run, the goal, the finish line, the purpose, all defines how we run. But as we run the race of life, as you and I run the race of life, if we don't understand how God wants us to run that, we can start to take on the rules of the world, and now we start to manage each lap poorly. We start to manage each lap in a way where we don't get to the line, or we don't finish in the way God wants us to finish. And as Paul said, in many races, you got to be first to the line. You want to be the one who wins. You want to be the one who gets there first. You want to get the prize. Without a finish line, without a prize, we race nowhere for nothing. But that's not how God calls us to run. He wants us to be first to the line. So what does that actually mean, though? Like, as the people of God, what does it mean to be first to the line? Well, it's like Paul said, we race to win. It's not, that, it's not the idea that we're trying to beat everybody else around us. It's that we run in a way with passion and conviction and commitment where we race to win. Every driver races to win. One NASCAR driver, Dick Trickle, said this, why would you race if you weren't going to be up front? It's the mentality of a racer. It's the mentality of a driver. In racing, you race to win, and the race of life requires, in order for us to be first in line, in order to win, it requires choosing faithfulness. It requires sacrifice. It requires perseverance and not quitting. It requires finishing well. Finishing well is one of the key realities of running a race. And none of these things are always easy, but they're essential to winning. In fact, I want to show you uh, just a very short video, a couple of seconds of the ending of a foot race. It's actually a cross-country race in Spain where the leader of the race nearly loses the race by how he handles the finish. There's no sound to it. just want to cut to it, and I'll kind of talk you through what happens in the video itself. I'll take a look. Here you see Kenyan Adel Mutai. He's slowed down because he thinks he's reached the finish line. He's actually only in the finishing chute, and only now does he cross the finish line. He had been leading the race nearly the entire time, but because he focused on the finishing chute and not the finishing line, he actually eased up, slowed down, and stopped, and it nearly cost him the race because he didn't focus on the finish line. He stopped too soon. He eased up in the dynamic. He nearly lost because he didn't know where the finish line was. So here's something I want you to think through next as we continue in our conversation. What we value determines how we run. What we value determines how we run. So what we focus on, what we place priority on determines how we run. What, what we value determines what we do. What we value determines the, what we, is what we place priority on. So whatever we prioritize determines how we run in a race. And for, for Adele Mutai, that runner, he focused on the finishing shoot, not the finishing line, and it nearly cost him the race altogether. What we value determines how we run. In fact, Paul alludes to this reality as he continues to write in 1 Corinthians 9. Here's what he says. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He's acknowledging that, that every step matters, that every lap counts, and what we value determines how we run the race. It's key. But again, I want to make sure you understand this conversation is not about adding pressure to perform. It's not about adding pressure to be perfect. It's about calling each other to be intentional in our focus, to have the focus on the finish line, and not to get caught up in focusing on the wrong things that prevent us from finishing well. 
Adele Mutai focused not on the finish line, he focused on the finishing shoot. The final approach, and, and my friends, many a race is lost in the final approach. It almost happened for Adele in his particular race. When we don't understand where the finish line is, when we don't have a finish line, or we don't have a prize, we run to nowhere for nothing. Here's something that I, I think may help us to understand how we run races well. Great starts don't always have great finishes. Great starts don't always have great finishes. That's a reality for Adele. That was not a great finish for Adele Mutai as he ran that race. How we, how we finish a race, it, it, informs, it can be informed by how we started, but it's defined by how we end. A finish is defined by how we end, not how we start. So how we start can actually influence a finish, but it does not have to define it. And great starts don't always have great finishes. On the flip side, in a very similar thinking, great finishes don't always have great starts. Great finishes don't always have great starts. So in both statements, the, the reality that great starts don't always have great finishes and great finishes don't always have great starts, you may be able to sit here today going, you know what, I've got a couple of moments in my life, laps in my life, where I can see those realities play out. Something that, that, didn't, that started out well that didn't finish well, or something that, that finished well but didn't really start out well. The reality is that plays out in life. And, it, and it's, we're not the only ones to experience that. All through Scripture are examples of starts and finishes, both good and not so good. And I want to invite you to think with me for a moment around one particular season and journey that connects with actually two key players. It, it goes back to the conversation around the journey of the Israelites. These are the people who left out of Egypt, got to the promised land, decided not, they weren't going to go in, so they ended up in 40 years of doing laps and doing circles. But after that, in the next opportunity, they actually live into the promised land with, with great victory and great success. So you have the failure, you have the 40 years of laps, and then you have victory after that. In that season... There are two key players, two key drivers, with two very different experiences. One is Moses and the other is Joshua. For some of you, you're familiar with the story and you're familiar with the people, but not all of you are. So let me just walk with you for a moment to understand how I see the two statements playing out. The great starts don't always have great finishes and great finishes don't always have great starts. See, if you think about for Moses for a moment, Moses was born in a time where his actually life was threatened, but very quickly God positioned him to be part of the royal family in Egypt. He became a prince in Egypt. He experienced a lot of great things, and he managed much of that time well. He made some mistakes, actually led him into his own desert season where God was training him for a period of time. But at the end of that, Moses came back to Egypt, and God used him to free his people from Egypt. Moses led the people in that first lap, and when they got to the point to go into the promised land, and they didn't, and he walked with them in that 40 years of doing laps and doing circles. And during that season, Moses made the most of every lap better than many of them, if not all of them. But there came a point in that journey where out of fatigue and frustration, when the people came to Moses and they said that they needed water and they were complaining and, and they were frustrated, Moses was fatigued and frustrated and God said to Moses, speak to the rock and I'll call forth water. Moses went to the rock and instead of speaking to it, he struck it. Instead of speaking to it, he struck it. Now there's lots to unpack just about that whole dynamic, but I want you to simply understand that the reality is that a, that a great start ended up being a not so great finish. Because the consequence for Moses doing that was that he was never allowed to live into the promised land. Great, great starts don't always have great finishes. On the flip side, Joshua. Joshua was born in Egypt 
a slave. He remained a slave. It was a not-so-great start. But he remained faithful to God in his journey, faithful to God in, in living for him, even to the point where Joshua was one of the 12 spies. He was one of the two who said, we should go in on that first moment to go into the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb said, let's go in. Joshua ended up having to walk in the desert, suffered in that space, even though he had been faithful. But then he was, he was given the opportunity to live into the promised land and experience victory upon victory. Great finishes don't always have great starts. Do you see the reality? In life, in life, great starts don't always have great finishes. And great finishes don't always have great starts. It's what we do now that defines it. Let me put this in a little different, maybe more updated context. How many of you have ever heard of Michael Phelps? Okay, yes, arguably one of the greatest American Olympians ever, if not the greatest American Olympian. And it was in the 2008 Beijing Olympics that, that Michael Phelps was competing and participating in his seventh race of that Olympiad. It was the 100-meter butterfly. And in that 100-meter butterfly, he was, he was losing for 99.9 meters of that race. He was behind. But unbelievably and inexplainably, amazingly, he won. He won in the final inches, and he won by a hundredth of a second. You can see him here over on the left, touching the wall ahead of his competitor, Serbian Kavic, Milorad Kavic. Now, Kavic was a record holder. He led the race the whole time, but it was in the final bit that everything changed because what happened was, as Phelps was trailing and Kavic was leading, Kavic chose to reach and coast towards the wall, but Phelps told, chose to take one more lunge, one more stroke to push towards the wall, and it was a difference between winning or losing. He won by a hundredth of a second. It's an incredible win. It's almost, it's just as an incredible loss for Kavic. But here's the thing. You and I may never be in an Olympiad in that kind of race, that kind of finish. I get that. But every day we make decisions. Every day we handle each lap that either positions us to lunge to the wall for a win or coast to the wall for a loss. In how we handle those decisions, how we handle our time. Every lap counts and we want to be first to the line. Every day we make decisions. Every week we make decisions in how we manage our engagement or disengagement from our family, with our spouse, with our kids or grandkids. Our procrastination around our to-do list versus chasing the to-do list is the difference between lunging or coasting. Engaging or disengaging with our spouse is the difference between lunging or coasting. And the first to the line is who wins. And great starts can lead to great finishes, but you've got to be first to the line. You've got to lunge to the line. You've got to hit the wall first. Great starts don't always have great finishes, and great finishes don't always come from great starts. So let's go to an early so what in our conversation, because I want to move this to a very practical reality, and I think I want to put it in a simple statement that winning requires finishing. <laughs> You're like, yeah, no, duh. <laughs> Winning requires finishing. We all know that in order to win a race, you've got to finish the race. No one, no one wins who doesn't finish. And in NASCAR, there's, there's a whole bunch of different flags, like nine different flags that communicate different things, but there's one flag that trumps them all, one flag that means more than any other flag. Which flag is it? It's the checkered flag, baby. It's the finish flag. And you can't win a race that you don't finish. 
And I mentioned last week that you and I can actually be on the track of life and never trying to win. We can be on the track, but never trying to win. We can be doing that in our marriage. We can do that in our parenting. We can do that at work. We're just showing up. We're just doing laps. We're just doing circles. We're just trying to get by. And in that space, we end up satisfied with good enough. It's just good enough. But good enough is not winning. Good is not great. Good enough is not winning. I shared a quote with you last week from Jim Collins. It was a longer quote. I actually put it in your note guide this week so that you could have it because many of you are trying to scribble it down last week. It's in there. But essentially, it talks about the difference of good and great, that good is the enemy of great. And the reason we don't have great in our lives, the reason we don't get to the line first is because we settle for what's good. He's right. There's truth in that. But every time I start to get on the track and start to coast rather than lunge, there's, there's another quote that comes to my mind that, that spurs me on to lunge and, and to be all in and to commit fully to what's in front of me for the glory of God. I want to share that quote with you. I've shared it before, but I want to share it again even now. It says, life is not a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. This, this statement for me calibrates me whenever I start to coast toward the wall. It reminds me to lunge one more time. It reminds me to get back out there and make the most of that current lap, even if the last lap didn't go the way I thought it could or would. It's leaning in, being all in. This statement is why Paul wrote, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Another translation of that verse is he says, I beat my body and I make it my slave. It's being all in, fully committed, willing to sacrifice, willing to commit, willing to thrust forward for that final approach, not stopping short. And you and I, we can be on the track without ever trying to win. We don't have, we're not intentional in our time or our talent or our treasure. We're not engaged in a bigger purpose. We're on our own. But that will, that will only position us to ever be good, never, not ever being great. For the glory of God and the purpose he's created us for. Drivers, drivers who don't live for greater purpose, don't work as a team, those drivers never win. But those who do, they actually can win. But how we run each race is determined by what we value, what we prioritize, what we focus on. When I shared with you earlier the story of Adele Matai in that cross-country race and how he nearly lost, I wonder, if, I wonder if you saw anything else in that brief clip that struck you. You may have noticed that the second-place runner, that as he came up behind, his name was Ivan Fernandez Anaya. Ivan, as Ivan came up behind Adele, he had been trailing Adele the entire race. But as he came up behind Adele in the finishing chute, he did something very unique and somewhat unexpected. So I want to show you a different angle. It's actually a bunch of still-frame shots that, that create the movement that took place as these guys are finishing this race totally spent, just giving everything they've had. Mucus coming from noses. They're spent. But watch what happens as they approach this finish line. Here's Adele. He thinks he's waving because he thinks he's already won. Here comes Ivan running behind him. But watch what Ivan does as he comes up behind Adele and he realizes where he's at. What does he do? He points. He tells Adele where the finish line is, and he lets him win. Why would he do that? <laughs> because what we value determines how we run. And Ivan valued sportsmanship over taking the win in that moment. 
He would later go on to say he believed Adele deserved to win. And he felt it would be wrong to just take the win because he made a mistake in the last few meters. My friends, sometimes we need people to come alongside us and help us finish well. To point out where the finish line is. To point out where we're kind of stopping short. Adele was not positioned to win. But Ivan came alongside and helped position him to do so. Because winning requires finishing. Easing up and coasting in doesn't get to the win. Stopping short is not how we get to the win. you got to be first to the line. we got to complete the right tasks, the right tasks in order to see the victory God has for us. Let me ask you just this question. What's the easiest thing for you to lose as you're nearing a finish line? What's the easiest thing to lose as you ease off? What's most at risk when you start to coast or start doing laps? What's most at risk in your life? Is it your character, your integrity? Maybe it's your peace of mind. Maybe it's your legacy. What's most at risk as you ease off? For Moses, Moses lost his seat on the bus to enter the promised land because out of fatigue, he struck the rock rather than spoke to it. He chose to act rather than ask, and it cost him everything. Joshua, in all the complexity he had to face, he still chose to be faithful, to continue to persevere and make the most of every lap. Yes, he had to wander, but God rewarded that in a space of victory upon victory as he lived into the promised land. What is most at risk in your life as you're tempted to ease off, let up, or coast in? There's a number of things that are similarities between Joshua and Moses, and there are some differences. And one of the most striking differences for me is something that is very subtly stated. And it's found in Exodus 33, and it's not in your guide, it's just up here. I want you to check this out with me. It says, inside the tent of the meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Moses had a very intimate relationship with God. Very intimate relationship with God. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp. But check this out. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua son of Nun, would remain behind. Remain behind in the tent of the meeting. That, although subtle, is incredibly significant. It's the difference between coasting and lunging. It's a difference of inches, winning and losing. It's a difference between getting to the line or easing up first and ending up second. Joshua made the distinct decision to linger. See, laps in the desert can have value and meaning if we let them, if we make the most of each lap, if we invest our time properly. Joshua lingered long after Moses had left, and we're going to get more into that next week and weeks to come, next week as we get under the hood. We start talking about realities under the hood in a race. We're also in week five going to talk about pit stops, and we're going to get back to that concept. But I want you to understand and realize that, that what Joshua did I think set him apart for what he had to end up doing overall and what he got to experience. Because our ability to run any race depends on how much time we actually sit with the Father and how we invest in that space. 
And those who win, they're intentional. They live being all in. They, they give their best effort. They spend it all. They run to the line. They fully commit. They focus. That's how we win at work, at home, and in relationships. But that all starts with, the, with our relationship with God, being on the track where we actually can win. And in your note guide, at the very top of the third page, are instructions for how to begin to run the race of life with God. See, we're not actually on the track with the ability to win without this conversation and these actions. We can be on the track. We may not be trying at all, or we can be trying our hearts, giving our heart, everything we've got to win. But without Jesus as Lord, and without God positioning on the track, us on the track to win, we're actually running in futility. And if you're someone who has never had the conversation with God where you've talked about your previous laps and you've let him take care of the junk of that, and you've given him authority to position you on the lap where you follow his direction to run that race and win, this is how you can start it. Without this conversation, you are not positioned to win the race. But with this, you are positioned to manage the daily choices of life where you can run and win. And I encourage you, even now, right where you're at, to walk through these steps and pray that prayer because it matters. It defines the whole race and your ability to finish well. We're committed as a church to making sure we all finish well, that we win, that our families win. And so last week, as I said, every week we're going to give family connection ideas in the back of the note guide. These are designed to position you and your families with you and your kids or your grandkids to be more intentional, to make every lap count so that you're positioned to win that race and they're positioned to run each lap in a way that they win the race. I encourage you to lean into those and even download the app that's available that can take you further in your intentionality. Because our task is to finish the race, to complete the work. It's the words of Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 4, that have actually driven me in many of the decisions I've made in life and even how I live now. Here's what Jesus said about his own life. He said, I have brought you glory. He's talking about God on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. That's a drive to finish and be first to the line. You gotta want it. And he, has lived, he lived in a manner where he finished the work that God gave him to do. And I got to tell you, I want that in my life. With every fiber of my being, I want that. And I want that for you. And I want that for your families. And I want that for our cities. I want to see our cities live in flourishing because we've completed the work that God called us to do. And we've finished and hit the line. It's one of the reasons we make bold moves as a church. And I got to tell you, it's one of the reasons why we know prayer is so important. In fact, I'm just thrilled to tell you that as of this weekend... Our very first prayer space at our new facility at Kone is now open, and prayer, that prayer space is now open as a prayer path along the levee, effective now. It was about a month ago. Yeah, you can clap about that. About a month ago, God placed that old Kone facility into our hands to steward it to be an epicenter of a powerful movement of God. God is the catalyst of movements. We're the stewards of those movements. And we're now in a season of stewarding that facility and, and preparing it and readying it, resourcing it. And again, my invitation is to talk to God and do what he says as it relates to helping us live into obedience in this space. But as we have taken time to prepare the space, we're now in a season to move where that property can be used as a platform to pray on behalf of our cities. It's Jeremiah 29.7. Seek Seek the welfare, seek the peace and prosperity of the cities where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on their behalf. We're going to be doing that. That's the first thing we're doing in this space. And so right now, 24-7, day or night, you can go down to that space, walk along the levee, and you will find a box near the stairwell in the middle that has uh, tags that look very similar to this. 
And there's Sharpies there. And I want to encourage you, when you go down to that space and you're praying on behalf of the cities, to grab one of these tags, to write on the back of this this tag and say, whatever it is, maybe it's a word, maybe it's a scripture, maybe it's a couple verses uh, or, or a couple words that just how you're praying on behalf of our cities. And then I, wanted, I want you to take the tag and I want you to tie it to one of the tree branches along the levee. And I cannot wait to see those trees covered with the prayers of our people and to walk that space and to pray alongside you on behalf of our cities, to pray the same prayers you're praying as we walk together, seeking the welfare and the peace and the prosperity of our cities. This is, this is the difference between inches of winning and losing. The, the ability and willingness to pray, it matters. Now, we're going to do this for a number of weeks, and then our next engagement will be to actually gather inside this space in a worship and prayer service. And we're working through a process of just readying that space to do that. But until then, I invite you to go down to that space, drive past the building, drive inside the back gate, park in the backside, and walk and sit along the levee praying on behalf of the cities. It's a, it's a gorgeous, scenic spot to offer prayers on behalf of these cities. And I can't wait to see those prayers laid out across those trees. But I gotta remind you, the difference between winning and losing can be inches. In the spiritual world, in the spiritual world, that's often the difference between praying or not. Between engaging in prayer or not engaging in prayer. And for us as a people, we need to finish well. And our ability to do that is centered around our choice not to ease up, but to reach for the line. And I invite you to join me in doing that. See, as as Paul approached the end of his ministry journey, he actually once again declared his priorities. Here's what he said in Acts. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. My friends, do whatever it takes to get to the line. Be all in. Push yourself harder, faster. Stretch further. You know, the ability to run, the fastest way to race around a track is to both accelerate and brake. And there are seasons to push hard and there are seasons to brake. But when it comes to the finish line, Give everything you've got. Stretch to the limit. Push fear to the back and be there. Be at the line. It matters. I want to leave you with one more illustration, and it's actually something that James Dobson, author and psychologist, um, once talked about. And it's, it's a true story around Pete Maravich, who is arguably one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But it's been a few years back where... Uh, Pete had been in the basketball world, and, and, and fame and fortune had been his source of happiness, but he could never find it in fame and fortune. But once he retired, he actually found happiness and joy in Jesus and, and became on fire for the Lord. He began to run the race with God in a whole other way. And, and when, when Dr. Dobson found out about that, he invited Pete Maravich to come to his radio show because he wanted to interview him. And after the interview, they played a pickup game of basketball with a couple of other people. And in that space, when, when the game had ended, Dobson turned to Pete Maravich and said, Pete, you can't give up basketball. This game means too much for you, to you. But then Maravich explained that for about a year, he had been having pain in his right shoulder, but, but that pain was gone. And he literally, it had disappeared. He literally said, I feel just great. And those were his last words. Because in the next moment, he collapsed on that court. And a few moments later, he died in the arms of Dr. Dobson. 
Interestingly enough, two years later, Dr. Dobson would have a heart attack on the same basketball court. He would survive. But it was on the day that Pete Maravich died that Dobson sat down with his son, Ryan, who was about 17 years old at the time. And here's what Dobson described he said to his son. He said, I told him that what happened to Pete wasn't an isolated event. This is the human condition. This is all of us. It will happen to me someday. Pete Maravich didn't have an opportunity to speak with his family one last time. But I want to tell you, be there. On resurrection morning, be there. I will be looking for you then. Nothing else matters. Be there. Dr. Dobson, in those words, is saying, do whatever it takes. Make it to the finish. Whatever faithfulness is required, whatever sacrifice is required, whatever hard right over an easy wrong, be there. Without a finish line, without a prize, we race nowhere for nothing. But get to the line. Make every lap count. And be there. Make sure your family's there. Make sure your grandkids are there. Do whatever it takes to position them to be there by how you manage each lap. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that by your grace and love, you position us with the opportunity to be there. Through Jesus, we can, we can be washed clean and given the promise of eternal life as we live out life now. But Lord, I know as we live out life now, there are responsibilities in that. We need to make the most of every lap. It's not about perfection and performance. It's about intentionality. It's about focus. And Lord, I pray you'd help each one of us to be intentional enough to make every lap count. To, to make the most of, of both ups and downs, Lord. That we would be a people, whether we started great or not, but that we would all finish well because we place our hope and trust in you. Wherever we're at risk to coast rather than lunge, wherever we're at risk to ease up in the finishing shoot rather than push into the finish, Lord, I pray you'd stir us and convict us and you put us back in a posture where we finish well, just like Ivan helped Adele, Lord, where you help us by your Holy Spirit to finish well. And may we help one another because it matters, Lord. It matters if we're there or not. It, that, on that day, Lord, may we be there and may others be there because you found us faithful in how we manage each lap today and tomorrow and the next. I love you, Lord. I pray these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.